Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. It's a podcast about workplace culture, psychology and life. I'm Bruce Taisley. Thank you for listening. A few weeks ago, I did something where I asked people to get in touch if they were interested in playing a part in the podcast. And I just want you to know that hasn't been forgotten. I've just been uh, busily dealing with that. I got hundreds of replies, in fact. And suddenly I, I thought to myself, what the hell have I done here? And so there is... I think really good stuff in progress, but you'll see the results of that in the next uh, month or so. Today's episode is a subject that I find immensely intriguing. If you're even remotely interested in workplace culture, the dynamics that people have in work and the connection they have with their jobs, then the the Gallup Workforce Survey is uh, probably one of the richest sources of data that we can we can explore. The, the most recent survey came out couple of weeks ago and the findings of it always represent a really sort of eye-popping and debate starting um, stimulation. The most recent survey said that 10% of British people are engaged with their jobs. In fact if we feel any need to be embarrassed about that then the thing I always find intriguing to look at is that five percent of French people are engaged with their jobs five percent of Italians although the thing that always stops me and makes me reflect on what it's actually showing is the fact that around 30 percent of Americans are engaged with their jobs so it's this really interesting international comparison but in addition to that there's other stuff that makes you initially sort of pause and scratch your head but then you can't help but be confronted with a degree of recognition 19% of Brits say they, their overwhelming experience through a lot of the day is feeling anger in their jobs. 38% say their experience is stress. It's this really intriguing exploration into our relationship with our jobs. Broadly, the finding this time around is that six times as many people are disengaged or unengaged, and we'll go into what those mean, with their jobs as there are engaged with their jobs. If you see a bus going past you and that's filled with people, there might be a handful of people on there who are actively going to work to thrillingly fulfil the desires of their employers. And these six times more people who are going there to try, try and bring about the, the downfall of their organisation. Now, what does any of this mean? Well, the, the fascinating thing that Gallup show in their research is, to some extent, how easy this is to turn around. And there's, there's really simple actions about trying to gift people more autonomy, allow them to make better decisions, um, treat them with respect. 
And that's why today's guest is such a a great catch for me, the, the fact that I've got the opportunity to chat to Anna Sawyer. Anna is a senior leader at Gallup who conduct the, the workplace report. And I was thrilled with the opportunity of going into the detail. What, what's at the heart of that difference between US workers and UK workers? I had a hypothesis and she goes and answers it. What's the difference in engagement between people who are working fully in the office and fully remote? What are the ways that we can try and improve our workplace culture and the dynamic and the connection we have with our jobs? If you're remotely interested in improving the culture in your team, in your company, in the group of people that you work directly with. This is such an important conversation. And I think it offers everyone clear takeaways of how we can improve our own jobs. Here's my discussion with Anna Sawyer from Gallup. Just a quick note before we start, Anna gives a lot of references and we talk about a lot of reports, not least a meta-analysis, the overall state of global workplace report. All of those things are linked in the show notes. So don't scribble things down, just open the notes part on your podcast app and you'll see them all ready to be clicked. Anna, thank you so much for joining me. I wonder if to kick off, you could just introduce who you are and what you do. Yeah, of course. I'm Anna Sawyer. I'm one of the principal partners here at Gallup. Uh, for my sins, I've been here 26 years. So uh, a little bit like you, Bruce, kind of very fascinated by this whole workplace dynamic and I guess how we can improve it. How long have Gallup been the, the workplace specialists? You know, back in the distant past, I remember Gallup being a, an opinion poll company. And then all of a sudden, every time I hear the word Gallup now, it's because you are the expert of interpreting the world of work around us. What's been the origin of, of Gallup's expertise there? Gosh, I mean, it, it goes back a very long way. I mean, I think I'm probably older than you. I, I actually remember Gallup from when we did the uh, the um, Top of the Pops charts as well. Wow. So, uh, so really, <laughs> really old, old, old uh, memories there. But um, yeah, I mean, look, I think I think the sort of a, a key point in in Gallup's history in terms of measuring engagement um, w- was really actually the switch from you know general uh, workplace studies, which we probably would refer to as sort of more traditional satisfaction type studies. And then this realisation um, re- really that there's there's this emotional component that we were kind of missing in all of that. So the difference between the sort of rational relationship with an organisation and then this emotional piece, which we all know is increasingly important. Um, so I think, you know, thinking about sort of the, the where Gallup got super interested in specifically that aspect of how we uh, relate uh, with with the workplace, um, certainly been measuring since uh, the the, two, the early two thousands, um, and you know, very memorable for me is kind of looking at the two thousand and nine onward period. So certainly that's the area that, 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 that where we're seeing a lot of change. So the the global workforce survey is the report that I grab every year. The moment it comes out, yeah. it's the it's the sort of the bible of interpreting these things. Now, along with you, you adapted some of the terminology this year but broadly you've looked at themes about engagement quitting quiet quitting do you want to just talk through what the big findings for the UK were in 2023 yeah 
Yeah, certainly. So, look, I mean, just just in terms of what it is that we're measuring in the state of the global workplace report, it's I think it's really important to um, share that it's it's gathered via the Gallup World Poll. It conducts we conduct this as a representative survey across more than 160 countries, um, and and through that gathering the opinions of 95% of the world's population. So it's a serious piece of um, a, a, of research, and and really the state of employee engagement is the core of our workplace research. So it's it's measuring using Gallup's Q12 uh, metrics, which I, I know, Bruce, that you're, you're already familiar with. Um, and, and very broadly, what these are measuring is the psychological needs that as human beings must be met um, for us to be fully engaged and unlocking our contribution and potential um, in the workplace. So, as I was kind of alluding to uh, earlier, engagement is very much around that strong emotional connection to to our work, um, which leads to higher levels of performance for the organisation, but in, it, importantly, um, higher levels of individual well-being. Um, so just to sort of share a little bit of context about the report for a, a, anyone who, who might not be familiar with it. In, in terms of what we're seeing sort of um, in, in big handfuls, um, globally, Engagement is rising. So if we if we think about from 2009 to the current date, there are 240 million people that are engaged that weren't previously. So that's a good uh, trend that they're going in the right direction. So globally, engagement is uh, at 23 percent. So it's gone up by uh, two percentage points. The big opportunity, um, and I should probably confess I'm a perpetual optimist, I lead with positivity um, as one of my Clifton Strengths themes. I think the big opportunity that, that is that we've got this big chunk, nearly 60% of people that are what we call not engaged. And actually that's gone that, that that's gone down by one percentage point um, since since last year. But those are the people that are not emotionally connected. So they're physically present is what we often say in the workplace, but not emotionally connected. So there's a lot of opportunity to kind of untap that potential and, you know, re- really think how they can make a fuller contribution. Yeah, what, what does it look like? So, so the latest UK stats, I think, said 10% of British workers are engaged. That's right. I think, you know, you, you often look at that. The first time you encounter this research, you look at that and you go, wow, really? One in 10. In fact, you know, what you've just said there, six times as many people are not engaged as are engaged. It's right. it's remarkable because then we start thinking of maybe the people we work with or the stores we go into, shops we go into, or restaurants yeah. we go into, or, you know, people we witness, this lack of engagement. So to just separate those two things, what does the engagement one look like? What is an engaged worker? And what separates them from a disengaged or a not engaged worker? Yeah, great question. So when, when we think about engaged workers, it's those people who are um, really having all of those psychological needs met for them. So we talk about them in terms of the Q12. There are 12 things that really matter most to, to all employees. And that's irrespective of where in the world you are or what industry you're in and um, the, the, the role that you're fulfilling there. Um, and it's really about that kind of ex- we, we often hear the phrase extra discretionary effort. So it's it, it's really about what it allows us to sort of tap into that. So it, 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 it kind of um, aligns around some of the really sort of fundamental aspects of, you know, clearly understanding what's expected of you at work. Um, it, it's around, you know, having a job that allows you to play to your talents and that you're also good at. And it's a little bit also to do with, you know, having a view on how what you're doing on a day-to-day basis – 
contributes to the wider reason that we're all here. So that 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 mission and purpose. Um, so really, there are there are another obviously a, a nine other factors in there, but I think those are some of the critical ones. So that clarity of expectation. I always think one of the really interesting facts about that one in particular. We often present those 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 twelve the way that we measure engagement. Those twelve factors. The 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 Q one. I know what's expected of me at work. When we ask that question to the global workforce, only fifty percent of people can strongly agree with that. So if right. you kind of play that out, that means that half of us rock up at work every day and we're going, what what is it I'm supposed to be doing? It's that you know, if you think about how that plays out in terms of kind of the organization's performance, you cannot be optimally productive if you're not sure what you're doing every day. So some of the time there's like wasted opportunity there. But also talk about unnecessary stress if you're trying to just figure stuff out every day. Um, so I, I think things like that are, are, are really critical in terms of what that looks like truly as an engaged employee. One of the big things that's starkest when you first encounter the data here is the international differences that you can't help but feel a bit, a little mm. bit embarrassed initially when you see that UK workers are 10% engaged. <laughs> and then you look at France and Italy. Yeah. And France and Italy often bump around two or 3%, both of them this time are 5%. And you start thinking, hang on, but what would be the difference between France and Italy? Then you encounter the American numbers. And the American numbers are candidly really leave me scratching my head. So I can't remember this year's, but it was around mm. 30%, 32% even engagement. That's and so I end up reflecting, is this something to do with like a broad cynicism that exists in the UK and, and broad cynicism, you know, when I chat to Italian people, they say to me, you know, uh, their work is so hierarchical. It's so, um, mm. so sort of stultified by rules and, and regulations that they say, oh, that number doesn't surprise me at all. And so then I start perceiving that. Mm. Then I look at the US and I think, man, this can only be explained by so many people are dependent for their job for healthcare. And so it forces them to apply an application that maybe is absent elsewhere. Help us understand what what would determine those differences. Gosh, I mean, it, it, you know, that that's the key question, isn't it? Because just imagine if we could move from ten percent engaged to thirty percent engaged. I've used the analogy mm. before, but I kind of think about in if you think about a rowing crew and you've got ten people, that's the difference between one poor soul rolling, you know, rowing like crazy um, on their own, and three. I mean, you just think about the difference in terms of how much faster you'd be cutting through the water. So, I, I, I mean, it's you know, what would it take to get us there? I mean, the difference between kind of Europe, UK and, and, and you know, the, the, the US are, you know, lo- lots of different theories. So some say it's due to the value placed on work in the context of the rest of life. So there's a sort of real uh, bigger separation, I suppose, between work and life, live to work, work to live. I don't, I, I d- don't know, perhaps something in that. Um, I think if, if, if that's one of the theories that inevitably trickles down into the value that organisations place on great management. Um, so, so that's certainly one theory. And another suggestion in sort of comparison to the US is that the, the Europe has had a more kind of rational to, to write the start of our conversation sort of way of thinking about uh, work. So more of a sort of a, um, a, a give and take relationship between employees and organisations, which is primarily focused on pay and benefits and worker protection, um, and which I think that leads companies often to overlook the emotional needs of employees. You know, other possibilities that, that kind of might explain some of that difference are, you know, maybe 
greater talent competition. Um, so in the US, there are sort of more job vacancies. So I think latest look, it was it's it's 6.1% of vacancies versus something like just less than 3% in, in Europe. So there are those kind of factors. Definitely in the report, we've seen that um, there are a lot more US workers. I think it's 71% of US workers are saying that they think it's a really good time to look for a new job right now versus only 47% in Europe. So again, there are some sort of different differences in terms of, you know, that that look and leave kind of activity that that seems to be going on. I, I suppose the bit that I I always try and focus on is the the, you know, whatever the contributing factors are, um, it's not inevitable that the UK and Europe are lower. Um, than, than the US. And certainly when we look at our best practice clients, there are some who are doing an absolutely fantastic job in, in sort of changing that um, uh, that that direction of travel. So we, we last week we were celebrating a number of uh, Gallup Exceptional Workplace Award winners who have got crazy ratios of engaged workers to, you know, actively disengage. So one of the, one of the uh, kind of really key indicators that we look at is the ratio of engaged workers to actively disengaged. And what our scientists have worked out is that you need four engaged workers to counteract the impact of one actively disengaged worker. In these best practice organisations, the ratio is 18 to 1. Um, and some of the organisations that we were we were celebrating last week, they've got ratios of, you know, 24 to 1. So you can just imagine how it feels to be an organisation where you've got people who are proactively looking for opportunities to further their organisations, you know, bring their best innovations, uh, you know, r- really deliver of their very best. So I always think about that, you know, again, here's the positivity lens. But it's not inevitable that, you know, we we need to be or or that there is that difference uh, simply by where and when you are in the world. Again, just a a sort of a a fun fact on that, or I guess maybe it's it's more than a fun fact. But, you know, one one of the things that our chief scientist, Jim Harter, says, and he's he's brilliantly eloquent as he explains this, but that when we look at our huge database on the uh, workplace um, uh, performance and what we see is that there are more similarities explained by highly engaged teams than there are dissimilarities explained by culture, location, industry, etc. So um, I think that's always really interesting to me that, you know, when you reflect on that. So, so, so what that what that means is that there is something, irrespective of the sector you're in, the industry you're in, the, the nuances or the location of your job, there's something that is common to the good firms. Or the t- even at the team level, I think is to be more specific. So again, you know, in every organisation that um, that I've been involved in studying, um, the, the biggest thing we see is range. So a, a key finding from all of our research is that at least 70% of the very in terms of how people engage and perform in the workplace is directly explained by their immediate line manager. And so when you go into organisations and you study um, their levels of engagement, you see living side by side examples of world-class engagement alongside world's worst. And so really, you know, the opportunity for a lot of companies is to say, well, what are those teams doing differently? What are those best practice managers doing to create that super high level of engagement in their team? 
because it also has some real validity on it on the ground. If you're working in an organization and saying this, this world-class practice is happening today in our organization with all the same challenges that we're all facing, how can we study and replicate that across the piece so we're reducing that range um, in performance? You raise a really interesting question there that, you know, to some extent, culture doesn't exist at an organizational level. It exists at a team level where middle managers may well be the custodians and the creators of, of great culture. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. I mean, I think you know, the you might put it as simply as you know, organisations have have as many cultures as they have managers. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because we never really hear articulation that the the middle manager is the ambassador, the the custodian of culture. We often imagine it to be more based on a speech by the CEO, you know, a, a summer party. We, we imagine culture existing in those spaces. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. I mean, culture does, right? So we, we often think about culture and, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a great, maybe it's a great way to explain it. But if you think about culture um, in its entirety, that looks like a cross section of an avocado, um, the stone of the avocado would be kind of the engagement aspect. So that's the drive and the energy that you're unlocking through, through engagement. But all the rest of the the, of the kind of avocado is is all the other stuff that comes in in terms of you know that leadership presence that you know why we're here how we get stuff done around here those kind of uh, the, those big pieces as well so generally the sort of uh, the wider part of the of the avocado I hope that I hope the avocado is making sense here Bruce, but <laughs> um, but the you know that is generally driven through leadership um, and yeah but but the engagement piece which is our stone and the energy that we're unlocking in our teams is very much local and with the line manager. Race is a really depressing perspective, doesn't it? Because if because if most of us aren't engaged, then it would suggest that the average standard of middle managers was really poor. I saw some analysis in your, I think it came after the, the overall report came out, but it was last year. And it was a, a report into burnout. And what I loved about this report was that it was so tangible in terms of the causes of burnout that it's really, I think helped vividly describe a scenario. And I'll just give you the, the, the five causes that were called out at the time. Number one, unfair treatment at work. Number two, unmanageable workload. Number three, unclear communication. Number four, lack of manager support. Number five, uh, unreasonable time pressures. And all of those things go to middle managers, I guess, to some extent. So is, is that right? Should we start? While organizations might be thinking about what are, what are engagement level is, how many people we've got here who are quite quitting or are experiencing bad effect. Actually, they need to think about what they're doing to train middle managers to avoid those things. Uh, 100%. I feel, I actually feel really, you know, uh, bad sometimes for the, for, for the line managers because I think, um, you know, it's a huge job, isn't it? You know, we when we look at the engagement of line managers in lots of organisations, they're one of the least engaged populations and they kind of get squashed in the middle, right? They kind of, you know, they're responsible for their teams, but they're also responsible for making sense of what's going on. Um, or, or, you know, you might put it as they're the engine for kind of enabling the strategy or making the strategy happen. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we often find with managers is that managers are frankly given that role as a reward either for time served or for technical expertise in a particular role it's rarely given as a responsibility um, and the reality is it's a tough gig being a being a line manager you know um, you, 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 you know you're the often the point of accountability and um, I 
you know, human beings are by definition messy, right? So it's kind of making sense and given direction and purpose and, and so on in that role. So I often think about, you know, when we're, when we're asking people to step into that role of manager, how are we equipping managers to do a cracking job um, and then supporting them relentlessly so that they can do it well? Um, what, one of the things, again, a key finding from our research is it's about having one quality conversation per week with every member of your team. Really interestingly, when we talk about kind of a quality or a meaningful conversation, um, I always think about a couple of caveats. So usually the sort of um, the, the response to that, people will often say things like, oh, one conversation per week, you know, there's no way I can fit that into my schedule. And I kind of like, I actually care less about the frequency. I think I get more interested in, is it a meaningful conversation that you're actually having with somebody? Um, and, mm. you know, it, if I was going to make a massive oversimplification about what is engaged it's being seen, it's being heard, and it's being developed. You know, that, that, that is what we need to be engaged. So how are organisations equipping their managers to see, hear, and develop their people continuously? I also think, you know, uh, wh- when we think about those conversations, you know, questions that we often get, oh, well, how long should it be? And what should we talk about? And it could be as simple as, how are you? And then sticking around long enough to hear the answer. I feel like sometimes we're, you know, my daughter often gives me that feedback, you know, she'll say, are you going to put your phone down while we speak, mummy? And I'm like, oh, yes, I should definitely do that. It's that being really present in the conversation, taking time to listen rather than we're doing something at the same time as asking somebody how they are. So it's, I, th- I think there's a, you know, start simple, but it's the, it's the quality of the, of the kind of interaction and then consistently building up on that so that we can get to some of these other parts that really make sure that people um, are thriving in the workplace. Um, you know, one of the things that we know is that, you know, to your point about sort of burnout, it's highly unlikely that if you're if you're not thriving at work, you're it, it's almost impossible for you to be thriving at you, in your wider life. Work is just such a huge part of where we spend our time. I think, um, you know, one of our team worked out that it's it's something conservatively around eighty thousand hours or thirteen years of a lifetime is spent at work. So, you know, making that meaningful and somewhere where we thrive is so important. Your idea that you know leadership and management is about seeing someone uh, reminds me of a quotation that I often use which a quotation from a, a poet called David White and he said friendship is the privilege of having been seen by someone and the equal privilege of having been granted the sight of the essence of another a lyrical way of saying it but oh, I it's that. I guess about that it's about feeling that someone has understood you and you in return have understood them and it brings me on actually to to one of the the perennially fascinating aspects of the Gallup work, which is this notion that, okay, that's a powerful thing for a leader to do, but actually one of the biggest determinants of whether someone feels a sense of belonging connection to their job is whether they've got a best friend at work. And I just wonder if, firstly, you could talk us through the mechanics of how something like that might work. And secondly, how that has been affected by the era of hybrid and remote working? Yeah, great question. Do you know what? It's, it's so funny. That question gathers so much attention. Our, our scientists would, you know, I think quite like that question to fall out of the of, of the meta-analysis because we get so much pushback on that question. But uh, fortunately or unfortunately, 
it continues to be one of the most predictive questions in the in the meta analysis. So um, it, it is the best predictor of somebody whether somebody will stay in in their role or not. That that sort of sense of connection to to others, and I think that goes back to you know kind of what we were talking about in terms of the mission and purpose. Well, it's being part of a shared purpose um, is is incredibly important. Um, so you know, in terms of what do you do to work on it, I've had all sorts of suggestions over the years from people on how they how they create best friends at work. Probably not not all of them we need to go into today. But the reality is, we we rarely say to organisations, look, start working on trying to create best friends in the workplace. Usually, and to some degree, it's an outcome of some of the other needs being met. So if you think about those twelve questions in a pyramid, you know, having clarity of expectations, having what you need to get your work done, um, having the opportunity to do something that you've got the talent to do and that you're really good at, all of those cumulative um, kind of needs being met actually start to bubble up to influence that sense of connection, that sense of purpose. For example, you know, one of the questions is, you know, um, about quality work. And again, looking looking at a question like that, um, when we look around us and we see that for myself, you know, I've got clarity of expectations, I've got what I need to do my work right, I have the opportunity to do what I do best, um, I, I feel connection to that that shared purpose and I see other people that are doing great quality work actually collectively those things drive us to greater resilience so those are the where people can strongly agree to those needs being met um, actually we see that has the biggest impact on personal resilience and well-being and I know that's a big you know area that you're super passionate about and and I think the same with the best friend question it is almost like a cumulative effect of those needs being fundamentally met at the base you know the kind of basic needs and then feeling like you're connected to and part of a team that has this shared sense of purpose. So we never say create some, you know, mechanism where, you know, you're kind of, you know, speed dating people or whatever. It, it's not about that, but it's the it's the connection uh, between all of those needs collectively being met that drives us up to that, that need being fulfilled. So intriguing, isn't it? Because the components of what makes for a, a enjoyable experience at work it actually shouldn't surprise us when we see them in aggregate, but um, but it, they sometimes might be the sort of thing that wouldn't necessarily make their way into a strategy presentation. They wouldn't make themselves, they, they wouldn't cross the CEO's desk <laughs> in terms of the importance. I saw as part of that burnout analysis that he did last year, it, it said that 95% of people who were thriving at work, I think was that that was the juxtaposition with burnout, reported being treated with respect all day. 87 reported smiling and laughing a lot. Yeah, yeah. And firstly, I love it as a description of, a thriving environment. I think we've all worked in teams that have had that or not had that. And it's a good reminder sometimes that, you know, these things shouldn't prove too elusive to us. Right. No, no, I completely agree. Work should be fun, right? I mean, you know, we we spend so much of our time, you know, in the workplace, you know, it'd be great if we could do cracking work but also have fun while we're doing it with people that we enjoy spending time with I think the piece of research that I always find really interesting and I feel like I'm going to uh, give a bit, bit of a bashing to managers again which is not the intention but one of the things that I, I think really reinforces that you know we know so much of the variance in how people engage and perform and or do or don't thrive in the workplace is explained by their local manager it, you know 
it, it, there's a really interesting piece of work by Danny Kahneman who, you know, talked about who we like spending time with. And the person that we least like spending time with is the manager. And, you know, that's not because they're nasty people, I think. Uh, you know, I think it's because they're over, you know, they're overburdened, ill-equipped often to do the job that they're being asked to do. For them, often those expectations aren't clear. For them, they haven't got the tools that they need. So, it's that hierarchical effect through the organisation. So, again, you know, something that is very consistent through organisations, even with relatively flat structures, a hierarchy does exist. Our leaders have to role model what engagement driving behaviours look like. Um, they have to practice what they preach, right? So, um, you, you you can't have do this, but I'm not role modelling that because it simply doesn't work. And that's where you start to really see things become very disconnected. Um, but like I said, I mean, I think I think that best friend question is fascinating. Um, uh, I always smile when it comes up in presentations because you get one or two reactions. Uh, you know, one, one of them will be, well, nobody in our country will ever say five to that because my best friend is somebody who I went to kindergarten with or, you know, whatever that I went to, to, to you know, to, to my local school with. Um, the reality is uh, I have never personally been in a session where we have work with teams where nobody has used the full spectrum of the answer there. So we ask that question on a scale of one to five. People always say, there are always some people in teams that say, yes, that need is fully met for me. The contrast to that, and this is what I think is a little bit, you know, pause for, for reflection. Um, Don Clifton, uh, who of course is the inventor of the Clifton uh, Strengths Finder assessment. Um, he always used to say, imagine if your response to that question is one. So, if I'm saying, yes, that need is fully met to me, but you've got people in your team who are saying one, that sense of isolation and loneliness, I mean, that feels very painful by contrast. And often you see that in teams where you've got, for some people, that need is completely met, for others, it's completely unmet. And that gives me great pause for thought in terms of, you know, how, how, how we can help people feel more connected. That's that, that, that lift that we get from a sense of connection to others. Specifically, back to the remote thing, I, I feel like I mm. want to understand more about the impact of remote working on engagement. Has there been yeah. a meaningful impact? I mean, it, it, the jury's still out on kind of hybrid, isn't it, and remote and, and so on and so forth. I think generally what we're seeing is that um, the where you work matters less than how you work. So it is perfectly possible, and we have seen it in many organisations, that, and if we take, for example, the pandemic as, as a really good opportunity to sort of, you know, see the extremes of, of that in action, um, those teams that were already highly engaged, so those managers were practicing practicing how they were meeting those psychological needs for their teams. Their engagement didn't waver. In fact, it, it got somewhat better during the pandemic. So they took all of those uh, behaviours that they were practicing um, uh, already and simply applied them in a hybrid re remote context. So uh, it, th there is something in that about, you know, it is very translatable in that context. I think what, what also happens is that the managers who are not meeting those psychological needs for employees, if you put that into a, where in, into a, a situation where they can't physically get the cues, um, the nonverbal cues from their teams on how they're doing, it is unlikely to translate, and they're not practicing those behaviours, it's unlikely to translate well um, on its own into those hybrid and work uh, remote situations. Um, so, it, it, are, are the research 
tells us that it is it is how you are managed and developed, seen her developed to go back to that earlier sort of summary rather than than where. But but I think it also comes down to the talent of managers. And again, you know, another data point on that, our research tells us that only one in ten of us have the natural talent to be world class at that job of managing others for high levels of performance and engagement. Um, so the rest of us, we need a framework that we can operate in to be able to um, help us do better in meeting that, th- those needs. Just thinking about engagement and thinking about the implications of it. Obviously, we think about engagement with employees and colleagues, but how does this look with customers even? What, what's the external element of an engaged worker? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a, it's such a great question because I think, you know, when we look at our, our global data again, only one in five employees say they do not believe that the companies are acting in the best interest of their of their customers, which I find really interesting. Um, you know, so when we think about engagement and sort of directionality, of course, if you work in a highly, uh, you know, a, 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 an industry where customers love what you do and they're buying lots of it and it's a pretty buoyant market, does that have an implication or an impact on employee engagement almost certainly but in terms of directionality of drive it's far stronger employee to customer so employee engagement drives customer engagement far more strongly and I always think about that Drucker quote around the number one reason that companies are in business is to create customers that that, that come back and buy more often and recommend you and so on and uh, um, our chairman Jim Clifton has this phrase and he says and the other thing that uh, that that um, the second rule that we should never forget is the first rule because if we don't have customers, right, you know, that think things go badly wrong. So I think when we think about engagement to really sort of get you know, CEOs very focused on why it's so important to drive employee engagement is to say, you know, think about all of the energy that you can point at improving your customer experience if we get this right. So we know it's good for employees. We know it's good for their well-being. We know it's good for kind of organizational, but, but very specifically thinking about that customer th- piece. Gosh, I think that's pretty mobilizing for, you know, uh, for, for, for senior leaders. It's fascinating. I, I chatted to a woman called Zainab Tan, Professor Zainab Tan, about a month ago, and she said, so often when organisations say that they are customer-focused, in fact, they're really not. And so actually, just some renewed attempt to focus on this, I think, is a, is, is a long-overdue intervention, I think, for a lot Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. What's the bottom line of all of this? Does the bottom line... Does it equate to higher profits? Does it equate to better results? I saw in your burnout report, it said that business units with engaged workers reported 23% higher profits. Do we have more statistics that come from that? Yeah, absolutely. So Gallup publishes a meta-analysis. I think it's our 10th iteration that we're on right now, where we look at, um, across the whole database, we look at um, the relationship between engagement and performance outcomes. So the sort of metrics that organisations study most forensically. So that's available to download on gallup.com if anyone's interested. It's a pretty meaty uh, and academic report, but there's a nice executive summary, which uh, suits me. Um, But um, I expect, Bruce, you'll be more into the kind of (laughs) deep data. Um, but um, but what we're really looking at is that relationship between, you know, how does engagement predict those performance outcomes? Um, so, you know, uh, what, what the research tells us is it, it absolutely does. So, across industries, across countries, um, uh, it, 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 across kind of work styles, uh, and the metrics that we look at are productivity, profitability, customer and talent retention, uh, safety outcomes. Uh, it is highly predictive. So, the outcome is for organisations, um, if you can improve, you know, employee engagement, it for sure will will boost um, those outcomes that we're studying most closely. Um, the the other piece that I think we also get really excited about is that we also know that engagement um, has a very strong relationship to personal resilience um, and well being. One of the things that we looked at, and I I, I kind of mentioned the five. It, there are five indicators within the um, the, the Q12 metric. Um, that if you strongly agree to those, they are the strongest driver of personal resilience and well-being. And what we see is where, you know, people answer that they can strongly agree to those items. They're 31% more likely to bounce back um, after um, illness or hardship. So it, it, it's that piece around, you know, work is just such a huge part of, of that that, that integrated life that we now lead. Um, our managers are responsible not just for our performance in the workplace, but our thriving selves uh, as we think about that wider context of life. So huge responsibility. And I guess, I, I, you know, I guess the, the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the net sum of all of that is we have to wait, change the way that people are managed, one, but we also have to change the way that we identify who is managing people um, and make sure that the managers are super well equipped to do that well. It's a massive responsibility. It's huge. This plays such a big part in people's lives and well-being and, you know, all of it. We, we hear constant discussion about this, the political football of productivity, but all of it goes to the heart of, of these relationships. Every every little yeah, bit of productivity is dependent on a manager and a worker in, in some regard. Just to finish, if you were sort of putting your solving hat on, if you were going to try and provide advice, whether it was for business leaders, managers, you know, even politicians. What advice would you give about how we could make work a more joyous, more agreeable, more productive place? 
Gosh, I mean, there's so there's there's such a lot of low hanging fruit. I mean, I, I my my view would be to sort of focus on the winnable employees. So we talked in you know a global level, there are you know fifty nine percent of the workforce that are not engaged, and I think for the UK, for for sure the majority. Um, I think when you look at that. Um, that there is a big chunk of opportunity. So I would be getting really excited about how can you nudge those not engaged workers into that more, um, you know, emotionally engaged and connected um, uh, kind of uh, st- state. Um, and I and I really do think it comes down to you know how we are building clarity of expectations. Um, so how are those co- how are those conversations happening, team by team, manager by manager, in order to really help people um, remove a lot of the unnecessary stresses that they have in their day-to-day work life. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, it really it's about sort of getting really clever about how we're selecting managers. It's it's getting really clever about uh, creating uh, the, the, the right development uh, support for managers so that they are not just thrown into these roles and uh, they focus on the sort of technical aspects of it, but really about ch- fundamentally changing the way that people are managed so that we can unlock that potential. I mean, I think the the, the, the big opportunity in that um, is also that, you know, it, it unleashes so much potential in serving some of the really big crunchy challenges that our organisations and our, our country, our governments are, are, are trying to solve for. Um, so, if you're thinking about kind of, you know, productivity per se, just the uplift of getting even a fraction of those people that are taking that sort of wait and see attitude to their work to more of that sort of um, super connected purposeful space I think that would that would be fundamentally game-changing. I love it I'm I'm so compelled with all of this I find it such a thrilling thing that you've got a dream job for me I I find you know know, work is such an important part of our lives and trying to understand how it can be better for all of us is such a noble pursuit so look i'm so grateful for your time and for the the opportunity to to hear directly from you thank you so much thank you so much for the opportunity to come and have a chat thank you to anna i've put so much detail in the show notes for this so if you are interested anna along the way mentioned the q12 i've put what the q12 are and i've linked to them anna mentions a meta-analysis of the data and that's intriguing i've linked to that in the show notes but that suggests that the difference between a highly engaged organization and a disengaged organization well the highly engaged one is 23 percent more profitable he's 18 percent more productive has got 10 percent more customer loyalty any of this is so intriguing, 81% lower absenteeism. It's so intriguing for trying to demonstrate that this stuff seems to have an impact. Now, anyone who critiques the Gallup survey will, will have perspectives or methodology disagreements, but I think it's so established it can't be ignored. I love the discussion. Maybe I'll, I'll get Anna back in the future, but I hope you've enjoyed that. If you have enjoyed it, please check out the newsletter and that's listed at the top of the show notes. That's where a couple of weeks ago I shared the latest data on this. Um, so you would be slightly ahead of the curve. I've been Bruce Stasley. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. See you next time. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.